how true that is. Without Jesus, I would be lost, and so would you. What a wonderful truth in song. Matthew chapter 25 this evening. As we study God's word, we'll be looking at a passage here in Matthew chapter 25 as we continue to look at this theme of loving like Jesus. We are purposed to understand what it means to be loved by God so that we might love God and others better. And so on Sunday nights, we've been visiting different passages that define in detail God's love so we can better understand his love to us, but also what loving him and others looks like. And so we'll be here in Matthew 25. How would your life change if you knew that your life would be valued by what you give rather than what you hold on to? How would your life change? Would it change? In what ways? If you knew your life would be valued by what you let go of rather than what you accumulated and held on to. Look, if you would, at Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. The Bible says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. And as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. This passage has several applications that we can reflect on and respond to and apply to our lives today. Now, we must understand the passage's context so that we do not come away with wrong doctrinal or theological thoughts about it. So I want you to understand that Matthew chapters 24 and 25 fall within what we refer to as the Olivet Discourse. If you go back to the beginning of Matthew 24, this passage begins with Jesus and his disciples outside the temple, and they ask Jesus the question, what will be the signs 
of your coming, of the end of time, as it were. And Jesus gave his disciples his answer to that question. So when you read Matthew chapters 24 and 25, understand that you are reading Jesus' answer to his disciples about what the signs of the end of the time or his coming would be. So most of what Jesus says in these chapters relates directly to the Jews and connects with the second coming of Jesus. Well, what exactly is the second coming of Jesus? The second coming of Jesus is a future eschatological event that takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. When is that going to take place? I can't tell you exactly. Here's what I believe from the scripture. The next event on God's timetable is the rapture of the church. It's the event described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when Jesus will come partway, okay? He'll come in the clouds and the trump of God will sound, the voice of the archangel will shout, those who are dead in Christ, who sleep in Christ, will be raised up from the grave. They'll be caught up together and we who are alive and remain, who know Jesus, will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, and we will go to be with Jesus in heaven. At the conclusion of the rapture, some point very quickly afterward, the seven-year tribulation begins. For seven years, there is horrible, but just judgment poured out on this God-rejecting world. And at the end of the seven years, when all of Israel's enemies will have gathered together against her to destroy Israel and Jerusalem from the face of the earth, the Messiah who they killed at this point 2,000 years ago will come back to rescue his people. And that will usher in what we call the millennial reign of Christ. He will rule and reign for a thousand years. He'll defeat all of Israel's enemies. He will bind the dragon Satan and cast him in a pit for a thousand years. He will rule and reign in righteousness on this earth. And so when you read Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the signs of that second coming at the end of the tribulation Period. This text that we read describes a judgment of nations that takes place at the inauguration of that kingdom. So keep it in context. The seven-year tribulation, Jesus comes back, defeats his enemies, sets up his kingdom for a thousand years here on the earth, and at the beginning of that kingdom, all the nations of the world will stand before him for judgment. And here in Matthew 25, 31 through 40, is the basis of that judgment. He will judge the nations of the world based on, as he says there in verse 40, essentially how they treated his brethren. In context, I believe that Jesus, when he says that, is referring to the Jews. 
how you treated my people, the people of Israel, the case could be made that he refers to believers. But in context, I, I think he's talking about the Jews. Regardless, this judgment in its, in its most simple point is that people will be based on will be judged based on the love and care shown to needy people. Jesus did not direct this text to his followers. This was not a teaching to his disciples specifically about how they needed to live. This is not a, a judgment that you and I need fear. That's not the point of this passage. But there are applications that we can draw for our lives in light of it. These applications show us how we can love like Jesus and make a difference for him through our love. We can, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we should, as followers of Jesus Christ, love and care for people in our communities who are needy people in our communities where we live where we work where we gather together as a community of christ followers we can love and care for people right here in our community doing so demonstrates god's love and draws people to christ from this passage i want to give you just five simple principles or thoughts about how we can love like Jesus right here in our community. How can we do that daily with our, within our community? Number one, very simple. You're going to think, wow, pastor, that is so incredibly profound. But it'll be helpful to us. Number one, give according to the need. Give according to the need. How should you give to someone who's hungry? Feed them. How should you give to someone who is thirsty? Give them drink. How should you give to someone who is homeless, who needs a place to stay? Give a place to stay. How about someone who is naked? Give clothing. Sick. Visit. And by the way, that word visit in the text doesn't mean go see them the word visit here in the text means to care for someone who's sick what do they need someone to care for them someone who's in prison go to minister to them give according to the need do what god enables you to do to meet the present need number two Give without a second thought. Did you see what happened when Jesus spoke to the people of the nations on the right hand? Come, you blessed of my Father, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And how did the people respond who received that commendation from the Lord? When? When did we see you hungry? And thirsty. When did these things happen? Now you say, Pastor, but, but 
the, it's about Jesus. That's what's essential. And yes, that is important. When did we see and feed you, Jesus? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink, Jesus? When did we do these things to thee? They ask that, yes, it's important. But the whole context presents this aura that these people were feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, and so on, without even thinking about it. They weren't giving it a second thought. I believe the application is pretty clear. Live with open hands. Why? So that we can get as much as we can and receive as much as we can't know. Live with open hands, not to receive, but to give. When God's Spirit prompts you, obey, yield to Him. In context of giving, if God's Spirit prompts you to give, then give without consideration. Give without giving it that thought. It's often not that we can't or shouldn't give when we're in those situations, but our conversation with ourselves is usually related to why we shouldn't give when God's Spirit prompts us to. Have you ever been in that situation? You feel prompted to give to meet a need, and the conversation you begin having with yourself is why you can't. Well, I, I can't stop and do that right now because of this. I shouldn't do that because of this consideration and that consideration. Friends, when God's Spirit prompts, let us be the ones who give without giving it a second thought. Let's not converse about all the reasons why we can't or why we shouldn't. When God's Spirit prompts, let's be the ones to obey without giving it a second thought. We need to, instead of having those conversations with ourselves, thinking about why we shouldn't do what God's Spirit prompts us to do, obey his leading. Number three, give without expecting something in return. Just on Friday afternoon or morning into the afternoon of this week, I was able to be a part of a presentation where information following a three-year community project here in Nash and Edgecombe counties was being disseminated. It was a three-year research project that went deep into the issue of substance use and misuse here in Nash and Edgecombe counties. Those of you who have lived here longer than I have know that this has been a major issue in our communities. And this nonprofit group has spent three years researching the reasons behind uh, the, the possible solutions for this issue here in Nash and Edgecombe counties. I was very encouraged to hear as they disseminated this research that uh, over the course of three years, what they have found is that the organization's majority of the organizations doing work to combat this issue in Nash and Edgecombe counties are faith-based organizations. That was wonderful. I was so glad to hear that. 
They also disseminated information about what those who have had issues of substance misuse in the past, who have reached a level of sobriety and are maintaining sobriety, what it was, the factors that led them to sobriety and are keeping them there. And the number one response consistent across the board was faith and spirituality. I was excited to hear that. But one of the things that they shared that is leading to difficulty in continuing to progress in this battle against substance misuse in the community is the issue of a lack of collaboration. And what they were talking about was organizations that have been approached that have been asked to come to the table to help combat this issue have been unwilling to do so. And what came out through the research and the conversation in this presentation on Friday was essentially because when people are being asked to come to the table to address this issue within the community, what's coming across is a what's-in-it-for-me attitude. What am I going to get out of this? If I bring myself, my organization, and our skills to the table to address substance abuse in our area, what am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me mentality? Now, this message is not about substance misuse, but it is about giving. And the connection is that I think Often, the same mentality that keeps organizations from coming to the table to address that issue is the same mentality that keeps us at times from loving like Jesus. Because when we're asked to give, sometimes our natural tendency is to have this mentality, well, what's in it for me? What am I going to get in return? What kind of a return am I going to see on that investment? We want to know what's in it for us. We may have a desire to give when there is some likelihood of seeing a return. But we need to be different from that. We need to be better than that. As God's children, as followers of Jesus Christ, let's purpose to love like Jesus, to give without any expectation of return when the Spirit prompts us. So give according to the need. Give without a second thought. Give without expecting a return. Number four, give without assessing the person's status. Well, who am I giving to? What kind of person is this? All these questions that perhaps we ask at times, we think at times in our minds, when God's Spirit is prompting us to give, and we begin having this conversation with ourselves about why we can't or why we shouldn't, and sometimes that conversation within ourselves revolves around, well, who is that person? What do they do? What are they going to do with what I may give to them? And we begin assessing all of those things. Notice what Jesus says here. In verse number 40, he says, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of what? The least of these. 
least in this text literally means the least, the insignificant, the trivial. When we think about things being insignificant or trivial, does that usually carry a good or a poor connotation? Poor, right? When we think of something being insignificant or trivial, if I came to you and I said, hey, I've got this great opportunity for you. I want you to give of your time, your talent, your treasure to this insignificant project. I want you to give to this really trivial endeavor. Would that be the kind of thing that just makes you excited to give? Yeah, that's what I want to give of my time to. That's what I want to give of my talent to. That's what I want to give of my treasure to. Something insignificant, something trivial. What does Jesus say? Don't miss it. He sees it. He recognizes it. When his people give to the least of these, he notices. And he commends it. Jesus' remarks here call for Christian care to reach all the way to the bottom of the social structure. That's what one said about this verse. I want you to think about this tonight. Whom do I ignore that Jesus notices? You ever found yourself doing that? Even out and about in your community? Turning your head away? Purposing not to look at, at certain people? Trying to ignore what your eyes so clearly see? Do you think our Savior would do that? Whom do I choose to ignore that Jesus notices? The homeless? The addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute, the abused? Do I turn my eyes away to ignore when Jesus would not? When God's Spirit prompts, rather than assessing statuses, let's give as He prompts us to. Number five, give just like you would give to Jesus. Isn't that what he says you're doing in this text? Jesus, when did we do all that? When did we give food to the hungry and it was you? When did we give drink to the thirsty and it was you? Jesus says this in verse number 40, if you've done it to the least of these, what? You've done it to me. You know what Jesus is telling me? As his child in today's age, in my community, if God's Spirit leads and I'm to be filled with his Spirit, I'm to be yielded to his Spirit, obedient to his Spirit, if God's Spirit prompts me to give of my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever it may be, God's Spirit puts me in a situation where I have the ability to give, I have the opportunity to give, I should give. And when I do, it's just like I'm giving to whom? 
Jesus. So now let's flip the question a little bit. I asked a moment ago, whom do we ignore that Jesus notices? Let's flip the question a little bit. Have there been times when God's Spirit has prompted me and I've ignored Jesus? Isn't that what he says? If you've done it for one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so my heart and my attitude, if I'm to love like Jesus in my community, if I'm to act out on that heart, then I will give to those in need. I will give according to the need. I'll give without a second thought. I'll give without expecting a return. I will give without assessing a person's status. I will give like I'm giving to Jesus because no matter whom you give to or how you give, when you give as the Holy Spirit prompts you, you are giving to Jesus. I truly believe your life, my life, will be valued by what we let go of rather than what we hold on to. Orville Rogers, I don't know if you've heard that name. Orville Rogers' life exemplifies that. Orville died just a few years ago. He was nicknamed the running man because between the ages of 90 and 99, he set numerous world records for races that were running for his age group. You can, you can go find, there's even a video on YouTube of Orville as a 99-year-old man coming from behind, catching the young 92-year-old and passing him up at the finish line to run the race. He set numerous world records. Orville was born in Oklahoma in 1917, died just a few years ago at the age of 101. He trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior at the age of 10. After high school, he went on and attended the University of Oklahoma and graduated. And shortly after graduating there, he determined God wanted to do something with his life. And so he he went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, but after only two months, he was drafted into the military during World War II. During World War II, and even after World War II, into the Korean conflict, he became a pilot and flew numerous missions. And after ending his time in the military, he flew commercially until he was required to retire at the age of 60. He then, along with his life, his wife, voluntarily flew for missionaries, transporting them and materials worldwide. God used Orville to do some pretty miraculous things. This side of eternity, the difference he made for Christ may never be fully known because the difference he made was not just maybe that big thing that we would think of flying missionaries and materials all over the world after retirement. 
but rather it's about what he gave away. Early in their lives, Orville and his wife decided early in their marriage to tithe of their income as they believed the Lord would have them and give to the Lord. But it wasn't long before God prompted them to begin giving more through their local church. So Orville and his wife sat down and they determined how they could live on a little less so that they could share more of their income with God. And they did that, but even then, God prompted them to continue to give more. And so they decided to make some wise investments and give the growth to God. They made that commitment to God. God, we're going to take some of our finances. We're going to invest it as wisely as we can. We are trusting you for the growth, and we will give any of the growth to you. What kind of difference did that make? Over a 40-year career as a pilot, Orville earned about $1.5 million dollars about $38,750 per year. It was a modest income even back then. So 40-year career earned about $1.5 million. And yet, Orville and his wife gave away an estimated $34 million over the course of their lives. Orville was asked to explain how they did it. And he said this, I believe the only way we could have accumulated so much wealth was by giving it away. God knew we would give back as much as we possibly could, and he helped us grow and grow in abundance. God was and continues to be involved in every aspect of my life, including my finances. Now, I never met Orville personally, but that testimony moved me. I want his faith. I want his dedication to Christ. I want his eternal perspective. I want to make a difference by loving God and others the way he did. We may never know this side of eternity what difference that made. But oh, what a story will be told in eternity by someone who loved like Jesus does. Can I ask you tonight, how goes it with you in loving others? How are we at loving others right around us within our community? In what ways are we demonstrating the love of Christ to others? One of the ways that God's word is clear, we can show others the love of Christ is through giving. Giving of time, giving of talent, giving of treasure. When God's spirit prompts, friends, let's give according to the need. Let's give without a second thought. Stop having conversations about why we can't or shouldn't. Let's obey Let's give without expecting a return, without assessing the status, and give as if we were giving to Jesus, because in the end, that's exactly what we're doing. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of the Scripture. 
Lord, I pray tonight that as we reflect on this this encouragement, this challenge from your word, that we would respond as you lead us to. Father, help us to be loving, giving people. As you lead, help us to give without thinking about it because we're just being obedient to you. And help us to trust that as we do, your love will draw others to you. Give us those open doors. Give us creativity and insight into how to give as you would lead us. And help us to just obey. Be sensitive to you. And give as you lead. In Jesus' precious name we pray.